Hey, pull up a chair. Attacks on Tap with David Axelrod and Mike Murphy. Hey, Ax, how you doing? We got a big news week a lot to talk about here. Yeah, it seems like that happens every week these days <laughs> and every day. Not a dull time. The things you talk about in the morning uh, are not the top of the news by the evening because things are so crazy. But the big crazy story of the day, or at least one of them, and concerning one is uh, this whole issue of the withdrawal of troops from northern Syria and the president, although they now deny it, apparently green-lighting Turkey on a kind of cleansing episode to get rid of the Kurds there who have been our biggest allies there. That the, the substance of that has been all picked apart, but let's listen to this clip from uh, President Trump explaining his position on this. These ISIS people, whatever you want to call them, these people are right there. They're right there. They're touching many of these countries that I just named. Iran, as an example, hates ISIS, and ISIS hates Iran. Iraq, you know all about that. Turkey, Syria, let them take care of it. Let them take care of it. We want to bring our troops back home. So, Murphy, I know where the foreign policy community is, the national security community. The Kurds were holding 10,000 ISIS fighters. That's a huge concern. There are a lot of reasons to be concerned about what he did. But I'm asking you a political question. It seems to me that he he may be right on the politics, that what he just said is what a lot of Americans feel, which is let them take care of it. Why do we have to take care of it? You know, that's an interesting point. I mean, first, just a an observation when you hear Trump with just audio and no picture, it's even worse. It even sounds crazier. And I like the creepy thing into touching. Uh, it's so Trump and so weird. But to your question, yeah, I think if unmolested by other sources of information people are getting, where all they hear is bring our boys home, that is a perennial working message in American politics because we have a long strain of kind of on-again, off-again isolationist feeling both in the Republican Party and the country. It's also, I can kind of get that, but I don't think this will be alone. This is such a betrayal to folks who have spilled incredible blood fighting as our proxy up there. It, it And what people are going to hear is we're going to open the gate to Putin, to the Iranians, to other people there, the entire foreign policy uh, community is going to condemn this. And I think it was a tell even in the impeachment fight because Republicans who've been afraid of their primary voters on this are speaking up. Um, you know, yeah, Mitch almost McConnell, in unison. Uh, yeah. Obviously, Rubio even, you know, who's not Captain Spine on, on most issues. So I think this thing is a, 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 such a McConnell. blunder that it's giving mm. Republicans in the Senate, which is the center of the world right now, even more pause about this guy. Yeah, you know, what's interesting uh, about that is um, Lindsey Graham was the most outspoken about this. This is something of real concern to him, and he really rebuked Trump. Simultaneously, he announced that as chairman of the Judiciary Committee, he was going to uh, bring Rudy Giuliani in to air some of these concerns about the Bidens and Ukraine and corruption in Ukraine. And I can imagine a call from Lindsey to the president saying, look, I'm going to have to cuff you around on this thing. Right. Uh, but I got your back on the one that really matters, which is this impeachment issue. But so, you know, I, I actually think you're going to see people be more hyper uh, on the Republican side, more hyperbolically defensive of the president on the impeachment issue to clean up their accounts after they 
slap them around on this. Yeah, there might be some of that. I mean, I think for the average Republican senator, the calculus of joining on the impeachment thing politically is, well, then I'm rooting for the New York Times. I'm in with the Democrats, the mainstream media, all the people my primary voters hate, all Trump's enemies. I'm now one of their friends. That's a political disaster for me. But on this issue, this is not siding with the Democrats. This is siding with the Kurds who've been our most loyal ally in a huge sellout. And the Kurds have a lot of friends in the Senate, a lot more than the Turkish kind of semi-dictator does. A lot of the senators have been there. The Kurds have been kind of a special project. Um, so they've got a base of support, and it doesn't make it for a Republican senator an R versus D thing. So it's kind of easier to go at Trump. Um, yeah, but the we'll other, see the well, other what people, Trump will react way, though were, and start attacking everybody because he's the clearly in a weak state. Other people were upset with the Israelis who apparently didn't get a heads up and have a yeah, big stake in this. Nobody did. The Brits and the French. I, were I'm just telling you though. I, I am telling you, Mike Murphy. My gut tells me that this is one of those things where he has a visceral sense. He may have to pull back, and he's shown signs of pulling back yeah. because the Congress may actually repudiate him. Uh, and may reverse his decision in a rare display of bipartisanship. They did before mm-hmm. uh, on this issue. They, they, they could hear. But I just, when I heard him say what we heard him say, my thought was a lot of his voters are, sh- are nodding their heads in agreement with him. And I, I think he knows that. So it'll be interesting to see how he sorts this out. But but let's, question let's, for you first, just before we move on. Yeah. I, I agree that Bring the Boys Home has power among his voters. But are his voters enough to win? No, but he's never really recognized that. Right, right. That's the he's fundamental He's never really recognized problem. that. He is a base always and right. only person. And he thinks that uh, this was a fundamental commitment of his. Uh, you know, to end the endless wars and, and that this plays with the base. We'll see what this pounding that he's taking from, uh, his own people as well as, uh, uh, across the aisle will do to him. But I, I'm telling you, I just think this is one, uh, to watch. I'll be eager to see the first polls on this because your, your, your tribute to the Kurds is, um, is very valid. I share your view uh, on this. Uh, I don't think, to be real frank with you, that most Americans give a shit about the Kurds. No, no, that's that's where we start. The question is, you know, in politics is always where you finish. And the Kurds have a story to tell. Now we'll find out if they tell it. Uh, We got John Heilman coming, our buddy John Heilman. So we, I I don't want to, I want to move us along because we do have to talk about the impeachment story. There are new developments. One of the things that intrigued me was just to review the thing that sort of torqued it up to another level was a thing the president said last week. Uh, And I don't want to replay the whole thing. Everybody's heard it a million times. But let's listen to this one line because it prompted some crazy stuff on the Sunday shows. And by the way, likewise, China should start an investigation into the Biden. So, <laughs> Murphy, you are you, are you, are you, yeah, I know. You're, joke. I can say you a natural. funny guy. Yeah. That That is bad. If that was comedy, that was very bad material. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, the new Republican talking point is every day is April Fool's, so don't believe anything he says, which is the bottom of the barrel of spin lines. But that was, you know, Marco Rubio started it. He said, yeah. oh, he was kidding. He was just he was just trying to gig the press. And that became the talking point right. for Roy Blunt, for Jim Jordan, 
Uh, every Republican went on TV and said, oh, he was just kidding. He didn't sound like he was kidding no. to me. He's not that jocular. No, he means every word of it. He's crazy. You know, we get evidence every day, and then the Republicans in their rubble have to reconstruct some insane theories. Oh, he was just joking. Yeah, he likes to drive you guys crazy. I mean, it's one of these things where they have to have something, and they've run out of anything that makes any sense, so they're they're going to that. Now, when he talked about the Kurds, all of a sudden, he wasn't joking. Apparently, for Marco Rubio, that was incredibly uh, uh, true. So, you know, it, it's, as I said, bottom-of-the-barrel spin, because they have nothing else. But but I got to challenge you on this mm-hmm. as well. You know, I just did a. It's going to be on Saturday night. I just uh, spent the day yesterday with Harry Reid out in Nevada, and Harry said, "You know, I used to think this guy was dumb." He said, "I don't think that anymore." He said, "You know, uh, he he's not dumb, and he and he he hasn't. You know, whether it's by instinct or intentionally, he he knows where where he's going." Uh, and, uh, I think on this, even on this, on the China thing, you know, he decided I'm going to double down. I got caught with my hand in the cookie jar. I'm going to double down and make it clear that it's okay to have your hand in the cookie jar. I'm going to do it publicly. And, um, you know, one of the things that he is doing is what he always does so well, which is to muddy the waters. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, Tarring Biden, of course, but he, uh, muddy the waters, turn it into a partisan food fight, depict it as, uh, as nothing more than that. You know, I, we'll see, uh, what, what happens. I mean, it's deadly serious. What he did was outrageous, but you can see what his strategy is. Well, uh, I think he's here. latched onto one truth, which is kind of a hack of the system because we've never had a Trump before. We've had, you know, some, weird presidents, but this is a new world. He knows as president of the United States, whatever he says will be repeated endlessly, unfiltered by the media. So he can get up and say the moon is made of green cheese, and the next news cycle will be that sound by times a thousand times, and then people reacting to that, debating if the moon is made of green cheese. And by the end of it, a third of the country will think it's green cheese. He knows it. He just has to go out and throw something out every day, and it'll get a free ride. And the only person who can get mm-hmm. away with that in American politics is the president. Yeah. So we're going we're gonna to see a lot of that. This morning, uh, G- Gordon Sun- Sunland, the, the ambassador of, to the Slash EU, donor. who is apparently a middleman, yeah, big donor, very wealthy Trump donor, uh, and apparently a middleman in all of these discussions uh, running side saddle with Rudy on trying to get the Ukrainians to start this investigation. He had a bunch of emails that c- caused everyone's eyebrows to arch. He was uh, an hour away from testifying when they pulled the plug and the State Department said he couldn't. And the president said, uh, we're not going to submit him to a kangaroo court. So it it really sounds like they're just going to we're we're into full resistance here. Yeah, they're going to dig in, make them look guiltier, and frankly, now whistleblower number two and maybe three and four, and the call transcript and what the president is saying himself about China. There, there's not no mystery here to un- uh, unravel. He, he did it. He abused his office, and uh, you can see the numbers start to move. There's some new polling out that is starting to resonate out there in the real world. Where normally, as you know, these Washington food fights don't really move numbers, but this one is so big and so clear, starring Trump in the center is starting to clearly have an impact, even among Republicans. Yeah, the the more Washington Post poll said 58%. Very much a partisan split, 8 in 10 Democrats, uh, 4 impeachment, the impeachment inquiry, 8 in 10 Republicans opposed to it. What's interesting is independents were 
you know, as is often in American politics, they mirror the the overall number. They were at 57 percent, which should be worrisome to him. The Republicans floated their own poll mm-hmm. uh, that said that in, uh, the exact in opposite. Uh, key battleground <laughs> districts, you know, yeah, the the exact opposite. I think the purpose of that was to uh, to try and uh, intimidate some of these Democrats in these districts that Trump won some of whom have not stepped forward on the impeachment inquiry. A lot of them have uh, to say, hey, there's danger in this for them. Yeah, there's a little backspin. The Republican poll was of a bunch of congressional districts where either Trump won closely or or Trump had uh, the Democrats had picked up a district that voted for Trump. So it was a selective. It has a little English on it. But I think one thing people should keep an eye on, in past polling I've seen, Trump gets his 85%, 90% approval rating. You know, that's root for the Yankees, our team versus them. But when you ask those same Republicans, would you rather have another Republican president or something that doesn't look like you have to say you're for the Democrats, 30 to 40% fall off Trump. So you're seeing the 20 to 30% in the post poll, which admittedly started with adults. I never like adult polls. I like voter polls. But And they reduce it. They ask people, are you a revolter, mm-hmm. voter? But you still see that 20 to 30% of Republicans that are kind of Trump agnostic. And I think that number is going to grow. It'll never get to 50%, but it can get to 30, 35. I know. And this is your... That'll start. Is, I'm going back to my music, and I know you hear this This song, is your dream, man. But I know it's your dream. It, and, and if it comes true, I will give you all the Credit in right, the that's world. why I'm laying down. But the, the, I, my, the my, I look at you. I hear, tell this story every time, and I see. Isn't this cute? Yeah, you tell me I'm crazy. And isn't I, this I tell cute? You he this thinks story. that this is all going to work. I out. know, but you're in Democrat land where Republicans all have Simon Legree mustaches. Um, no, I'm just watching what I see. What I see tanks. are Republicans falling in line uh, again and again. And again, so I have no reason to well, believe. Let me. And, you know, I see a president with an 87 percent approval rating uh, among Republicans, which is why they fall in and, and, and they don't want to get on the wrong side. Right. No, no. Uh, that, I get that. Tweets. If if the Republican number, the anti-Trump Republican number gets to the high 30s, I think it could change some calculations in the Senate. That's all I'm saying. We'll see if it mm-hmm. happens in the post poll. It's at 20 now and investigations at 30. That's a third, almost a third of Republicans saying go investigate them. That is, that is a movement and there's some ground for that. That's all I'm saying. A little crack in the, in the big dam. <laughs> okay. You cling to that. We are, uh, <laughs> you see, wait and see. We, we, we have our buddy on the line. Live from Iowa, where the real caucus voters are. Who we got, David? John Heilman, you know, uh, we could actually take up the, about half the podcast just on your, titles, executive producer of the Circus on Showtime, national affairs analyst at MSNBC, of course, noted columnist and author, and now editor-in-chief of The Recount, which is a cool thing, which we'll talk about at the end, that I recommend to everyone. So where the hell are you? I'm in Des Moines, Iowa, a place where uh, David Axelrod has had some great triumphs, and Mike Murphy has had a lot of failures. Love Iowa. I mean, Love a lot it. of There's always candidates yeah. here. Once you get to the fall, there's always at least a candidate, if not multiple candidates here on the ground at any, on any given day. It's like I, it's this time of the cycle is incredibly um, exhilarating to me. It's almost as exhilarating as it will be a year from now. But this is it's just great to be here. It's fantastic. Yeah, I, I agree with you. So you are where it sounds like you fall on the side of, yeah, I like the Iowa caucuses as opposed to what the rest of the country or much of the rest of the country other than Iowans say, which is how come they get to have 
so much say? Well, it's a perfectly good question. And, you know, I think that I've always thought that it would be I like the idea of the early states that are small, that allow candidates who don't have a lot of money to get voter contact and to break out. I think the idea of like starting with a national primary or the big states would be a huge mistake. I do wonder in an, an ideal world, like if we could all play God, whether it would make more sense to have the first four states rotate so that, you know, you would have the Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada would like take turns going first because they all have different profiles that we understand. And it would be great some year to have a largely African-American electorate like there is in South Carolina on the Democratic mm-hmm. side to have them go first. I, I can imagine that that might be a better but I don't even think God would tamper with the Iowa people and the well, Secretary of State in New Hampshire. Well, luckily, you've got God on the podcast, so let me speak up. Yeah. Um, the, <laughs> the Iowa is great because the Iowans are great, but caucuses, particularly on the Republican side, the Iowa caucus years ago was a little more of a microcosm of, of the, a wider Midwestern Republican Party. It has narrowed a bit. It's heavily dominated by the Christian right. It's not a typical Republican primary anymore. So, you know, it, it may not be the bellwether that it used to be, but it's a system we have and it's not going to change. And it does test your ability to get the Republican base excited and your ability to organize because it's a caucus. And that, hey, that, brother, that, I, I got news for you. Your party is dominated by the the, yeah, no, the uh, Christian no, right. No, now, so. no shit. No shit. Yeah, yeah, but but <laughs> if you look at Republican primaries, uh, a, a vineyard I've worked in, the Iowa caucus is still a different thing than most of them. Yeah, it, it's so, in its own world. So let's 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 go ahead. Can I just say I want to say one thing? I, I, I'm, yeah. a, I'm a huge fan of this, of this podcast and a huge fan of its co-host. And I, I always understood the hacks on tap thing to mean like political hacks. And I believe since I've listened to every episode, I believe I am the first journalistic hack to be on the program. Is that right? Well, that's mostly true, depending mostly. on how you characterize your running mate, uh, Mark McKinnon. Oh, okay. That's right. Because Mark McKinnon he, was on. He, he was on here. I'm not, Mark even the first, I'm not even the first circus host mu- that's been on here. <laughs> Much like myself, you, Mark is a hybrid. Yeah. You're a, a hatless hack, yeah. first hackless journalistic hack. So we're, you get a trophy for that one. That is a, that is a ceiling breaker there. We're, we're delighted to have you. So let's talk. There's a lot of shit going on right now. Okay, and and we and we're trying to figure out a the politics uh, of this impeachment issue and the cross currents now of Turkey, uh, and and then the third piece is just how, you know Trump obviously wanted to kneecap Biden uh, with all of this. What impact is do you think you're out there in the field? What impact is any of this having? Uh, on the Democratic race? Well, I think the, the, the place to start, I think, is that, for at least from what I can tell at the moment, that it's obviously the case that the impeachment thing is sucking up a lot of the media oxygen that exists in the coverage of politics. And so, therefore, you know, it's been my stipulation. And, and so far, I believe it's true. And candidates seem to think this. I mean, we're right now doing the circus episode for this week where we're spending time. I'm with Cory Booker right now, but we're also spending time with some other candidates who are non-top tier candidates and they all yeah. recognize the the how the, the, in a race that was stable for for eight months where the top tier was the top tier and the everybody in the single digits stayed in the single digits that the the, the fear is that this impeachment story is going to freeze the race solid and that it's going to be impossible for a non-top tier candidate to get any oxygen in this environment and so far um it's a little early to make that to say that that's in fact the case but you can see it in the eyes of a lot of these candidates 
you know, the, the Cory Bookers of the world, the Amy Klobuchar's of the world, even the Pete Buttigieg's in the world who, who have a lot of money. Buttigieg, obviously the rare candidate who has not great polling performance, but has dough. They all are looking around going, how does, how do I get noticed in a world that everybody's yeah. focused on Donald Trump? And the only Democrat who gets any airplay in this moment is Joe Biden. So there's a little bit of a desperate times and desperate measures quality to it uh, out, out here. I think I don't think voters are super fixated yet on the impeachment thing, even though the media is. Right. Well, that that's a good good jumping off point to Biden. I mean, last week down in Austin with the rover, we uh, we talked a lot about Biden has an opportunity here to kind of start the general election, engage Trump and crowd everybody else out because the scandals about him and he's right. the at least early in my view very vulnerable front runner and they've kind of after a long delay I couldn't figure out they're kind of trying to do it what what kind of points would you give them for execution and are you feeling any of that in Iowa kind of line up behind Biden for the epic battle my gut is they're not doing it well but at least it's a strategy right I was with the, I was with Biden in Reno when he did that the, the speech that was supposed to be the the moment when they finally said okay we're going to take Trump on and I thought that that speech was fine, but it only got halfway there, right? Because though he stood up and said, yeah. I'm not going to let you destroy my family and I'm not going to let you uh, take me on and, and, and I'm, I'm going to get right in the middle of this fight with you, Donald Trump, and I'm going to make it about you and me. And this is going to be Trump versus Biden. Here's a preview of the general election. The reality, yeah. is, the reality is that he did that and he's going to keep trying to do that. But the problem is that when he does that, and we all know you guys talked about it on the pod that the risk entailed there is that as long as you as you if you run into the teeth of this story, it means that Joe Biden, that, that Hunter Biden continues to be a question you're going to have to answer. And I don't just don't they seem yeah. to think they seem to think right now, and Joe Biden in particular himself seems to think that he can run into the teeth of this story, but just say I am not going to answer questions about my son. And I just in my history, he seems so yeah, he, he, he got pissed pissed the other day when someone pressed him on right up in California. Uh, he got this, he got questioned about it two days after that Reno that, that Reno speech. He got questioned about it in California at some SEIU thing, and he kind of lost his shit. And I just think like David, I ask you guys, you guys have, have between the three of us, we've seen yeah. a lot of presidential campaigns. Like a story, yeah. like whatever, we all would agree that we don't think Hunter Biden did anything illegal, and we know that Joe Biden didn't do anything either improper or illegal. But I think right. that, that we right. all would say that the idea that the that the sitting vice president's son was on the board of a crooked Ukrainian gas company to the tune of fifty thousand dollars a month for three years, and now has this China element to this too, it just looks shitty. It's skeezy. It's bad. Right. It's bad swamp right. behavior. And you're not going to be able to not answer questions about it. You're not. And I right. You, whether you, you you're not going to be able to you're not going to be able to not answer questions about it, whether you run into the fires or not, because right. this is going this is now a meme in right wing media. Right. It is a constant refrain of the president's. And either you defeat it by by running headlong into the fires uh, or you or you don't. But. Uh, you know, I, I think the one of the things that I've noticed about the Biden campaign is that they're, they seem to be on a two week delay. Right. Every well, time something bad happens, it takes them about two weeks to to land on their strategy. Well, I don't it takes know why a lot of from time the, to press a vinyl record, David. You got to give them you know, <laughs> that, that, that doesn't come quickly. I uh, but I you know I just. Uh, I, I thought when this first happened that this could be an opportunity for Biden. I do think the Hunter thing is a liability. It would be a liability in, in any case. But he wanted to paint this as a race between him and yeah. Trump. Yeah. This was an opportunity to do it. And it really was a certification from – it is a certification from Trump that Joe Biden 
is the candidate he fears. I mean, you can't read it any other way. And there's a reason that he fears him. And Biden could have seized that and and just been Mm -hmm. uh, a, a, uh, you know, a constant, a constant uh, refrain on this. And he 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 really has been sort of tepid, I think. Well, yeah, rule one, though, I, I totally agree. And we, we were, we've been pitching this. It's an opportunity for Biden to organize the whole thing. But, you know, when you have the meeting, okay, we're going to grab it by the horns, take over the race, squeeze on everybody else. Hello, Mr. President. Step one, we got to be great at the Hunter Biden answer. Right. You know, we, we got to, we got to grab that. Let me that say this. If they do not, if not, they did not anticipate this, they should just pack up, close the, yep. close up the headquarters and go home. Right. This, was so obvious. Yeah. This was so clearly coming. Right. And, and I, the fact that they they shouldn't have to have a meeting as to how to deal with it. Right. Um, they should know what their answer is, and he should be able to give it. Let, let me, but let he me, can't. That's the thing. Let me let me interject just briefly. Um, you guys are Go ahead, John. You're doing the pod, you guys are now doing the pod without me again. Um, here's the thing. <laughs> that, that one of the brilliances, Donald Trump is not a political savant, and he's not a political guru, and he doesn't have any magic dust. But the reality is one thing he does know how to do is to home in on the, the psychic soft tissue of opponents. Incredible. Now. And yeah. he knew from the very beginning that Joe Biden's family, because he advertises it, that Joe Biden's family is where the psychic soft tissue is with Joe Biden. And so you're right, David. It was obvious that he was going to go after him from from. From long before this race started, it was obvious that, that Donald Trump and his and his minions were going to go after Hunter Biden and make them an issue. And 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 I would say, on the basis of my reporting and my understanding of the vice president, former vice president, that the fact of the Hunter story and his his concern about it was a non-trivial reason why he didn't run in 2016. Everybody focuses on the Bo Biden element, the, the, the nearness to the tragedy. Yeah. That was certainly a part of Joe Biden's emotional cast at that point. But another part, when he talked to, when he thought about what was going to happen to him if he ran in 2016, was he knew that the tabloid stories about Hunter Biden, not necessarily the Ukraine thing, but other things related to right. substance abuse and yeah. Apparently- well, he- the New York, the New Yorker story on him a couple of weeks ago was right. was uh, so, really really sad. So he knew he knew in 2016 that this was going to be an issue, and it, I think it factored into his decision not to run. And he could not have not known. He could not have not known because I, I, he was. It was again. It was a factor in 2016. He must have known it was going to come, given Donald Trump, given the facts and evidence. And so the idea that they did not come into this with an absolute battle plan about how to address this. It came maybe sooner than they thought it was going to come. It came wrapped in this impeachment package that they didn't anticipate, but they should have been ready for this. And I just, I, again, you guys have, have, have run a lot of campaigns. I've covered a fair number. I just don't see how a front runner, one of the two front runners in the democratic field, a former vice president of the United States with this issue out there, public known and the president engaging on it. I don't see, you can't just say, I'm not going to talk about that. It just doesn't seem. Kind of yeah. Not at all. Not at all. It, I think the big I mean, tell the, for me is we now know who the Biden campaign manager is and it's Biden, which has been the, the case in every race he's ever he's run. Killing him. And I, I think the question is, you know, again, I agreed with you guys, David, I agreed with you when you said the thing last week, that was actually kind of brilliant. I don't mean to blow a smoke up your rear end, but like, the, the analogy. Nixon, no, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, more. <laughs> the, the analogy between Nixon and Trump with respect to Nixon and the roots of Watergate and trying to kill the, that Watergate was all about killing Muskie in order to get McGovern. And that this is an exact replay of that, where Trump wants to use yeah. dirty tricks to kill Biden in order to get to Warren. That's 100 percent right. And I do agree 
that a well that a well thought through strategy of embracing this story but dealing with the hunter thing could work could 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 have allowed Biden to 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 recapture the momentum that he had started to lose prior to the story in with the rise of Elizabeth Warren. It could have allowed him to really surf this thing. But they've been so unsteady yeah. about they've been so unsteady about it. And as you guys said on they're running slow in their reactions and and they're only doing half the job. So I I just it, you know that that New York Times story the other day captured I think the the there's a lot of internal angst in the campaign about this. There's a lot of internal angst on the candidates' part, and that in this moment, in this testing moment, this is like one of those moments that you get in a campaign where you're, you're tested by by the news cycle, and in this case, by the news cycle on a historic level, dealing with impeachment and Donald Trump and everything else. This is the moment where either you're going to rise to this moment and crush it, or you're going to crumble. You know, he has to have an answer for, well, do you think it was appropriate for your son to, and I, you know, and I think, I mean, I'm just conjecturing here, but I think the God's honest truth is that he has a hard time saying no, you know, you know, he's so uh, emotional about his kids and I, I, I don't think Joe Biden did one thing to help Hunter Biden, but I also don't think he told Hunter Biden no. Right. And he, you know, he needs to kind of conf- he, look, look, you know, my whole thing is always start from the truth and then work from there, you know, if, right. <laughs> and, uh, right. and, and if it, that doesn't work, then you, but, but he, I really think he needs to authentically deal with this. And the fact is people know how he feels about his kids. Uh, you know, so the, a little authentic, truth telling from the beginning and then pivoting to Trump, who, by the way, isn't exactly in a position oh, to course. lecture other of people course. on their kids trading on their name around the world. Of course, David, uh, I would, like would have David, been good. I like, David, I'd like you to finish that sentence where you said, start with the truth. And if that doesn't work and then you trailed off. <laughs> so what the, yeah, well, the you know, we, I, I would. But we, for time's sake, I can't do that. To, to, to one thing, though, in the Biden is not alone in the how to completely blow how to handle something follies. You guys ever tried to hide a heart attack before? That was the other epic fail, I think, of the week in politics. Uh, we feel bad for Bernie. Happy he's recovering quickly. But generally, when you're in the presidential spotlight and you're pushing 80 and you, you have clearly a cardiac event, you're in the hospital for a couple of days. Don't hide it and wait for it to come out. Where do we think Bernie is in Iowa now after all this? John? Before you answer that, let me say great segue by Mike Murphy there. Go ahead. Hi. I was just and well, don't I miss said, the I, circus. Eight o'clock on uh, Showtime. I will. I'll, I'll, I'll say. Two, Go ahead. I'll say two things. One. One is just to close off for me. Close up the Biden thing, which is, you know, you've got this now. This, this candidate debate coming up in Ohio next Tuesday, and you know, does anybody here not imagine that a legitimate question is going to be asked to other Democratic candidates on that stage? Would they allow one of their children? to serve on the board of a foreign company while they're in office if they were president. Yep. That yeah. is going to be a question that's going to come yeah. up. The New York Times is a co-sponsor of this debate, and there are going to be some tough questions, I think, related to Hunter Biden and to the other candidates, putting them in a legitimate way. Would you have allowed, Would you? Uh, what's your policy going to be related yeah. to your kids? Because the right. Trump, because the yeah, Trump no, it's coming right. right over the plate, and we'll see for the fifth time if he can finally hit the ball. And the Trump precedent is there, too, as David points out. So you've got two different pegs for asking that question the way that trump has treated his children and this question and i just i i I gotta i mean you can't imagine that the biden people are not preparing like hell to answer that question but if they're not they're they're engaging in some political malpractice now to the bernie thing whether he can deliver the answer is going to be another question but go ahead whole other question and then the bernie thing you know look i think the reality with him is you you think back to the way what happened when hillary clinton had a health episode in the middle of the 2016 campaign 
Think about how that was. Uh, 9-11 in 2016. Correct, when she collapsed. And think about what happened when she, when they hid her, when they didn't answer questions for 24 hours, when they, the, all the things that happened of how the Clinton people, and now if you talk to the Clinton people about that, they will acknowledge it was one of the biggest mistakes they ever made because the reality is yeah. that it allowed for the conspiracy theories that became part of the fake right. news Russian effort around she has Parkinson's, she has MS, she had a heart attack, all that stuff. That stuff spiked on social media in the last week of the general election in battleground states, in important congressional districts. Social media was flooded with pictures of Hillary collapsing on 9-11. And the fact that they didn't answer it and address it in a clear, clean, transparent way, I think, was as damaging to them as almost anything that happened. That was a a purely self-inflicted wound. That had nothing to do. The Russians capitalized on it. But. They handled it terribly. Right. So that brings you forward to, to, to Sanders. Are you guys not learning a lesson here that when it comes to the candidate, a candidate's health, nope. particularly a candidate who's 78 years old, there's only one way to handle those things, which is with full transparency, full openness. Tell them, don't, don't not tell them. You got to tell them what hospital they're in. Get the doctor out in front. Get a statement from the doctor. Be open up front about it from the very beginning, because if you're not, the press goes, these fuckers lie to us. And they don't tell us yeah, but you know what? Them. You know what, John? I, I, I obviously agree that they should have been more forthcoming on this. But I said back in 2016 that the Clinton people got it wrong, that her vulnerability was stealth, not health. In Bernie's case, he's not seen as someone who's not transparent, even though he hasn't been particularly transparent on things like his personal finances. But he uh, he is seen. But the concern is he's seventy eight years old, yeah. and I think they know that's a concern. And uh, and so you know that that's what motivated. But I don't think he's going to. People are not going. Voters are not going to say. I don't think they're going to say I can't be for him anymore because he wasn't straightforward right. about his heart attack. I think they're more likely to say. Damn, he's old. So, so let me be. Yeah, no, I think that's how it resonates. The other thing is, it's the same tell as Biden. Who's running Bernie's campaign? It's Bernie. And when the candidate is the campaign manager that way, all the candidates take some faults and take over the strategy. So I'm sure it happened. They were worried. Well, we got to wait for Bernie to tell us what to do. Well, don't tell anybody anything. You know, the culture around the candidates. I bet so his wife Jane stumbled was down this in well. probably, and they so, stumbled so. down this road. And now his campaign theme, I think, is going to be old, 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 and he's going to be very hard to get out of that. Maybe it'll spread to the others too. There will be health yeah, questions. Yeah, Biden could be as well. Collateral damage in that. I agree with you guys that obviously the, the, that the first the first vulnerability here is that it calls attention to the fact that he's seventy eight years old. We don't know yet what the political or physical, for that matter, ramifications of this are going to be going forward. Those are two big open questions, and I agree with you that that is that's where the political vulnerability is. But just to, just to make my small case for my point earlier, which is you guys understand what. What what the difference is between having a press corps that trusts you and having a press corps that doesn't trust you, and and I think that part of the reason why it's not that voters necessarily yeah, yeah, value the transparency, it's that when the press feels that you're that they've been lied to or that the candidates the campaign has played hide the candidate or been uh, not the, try to conceal relevant facts, it poisons the relationship with your press corps, and that was a big problem with Hillary yeah. Clinton. A big problem with her was mm-hmm. that was, was 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 the fact that the press instinctively always thought that the Clinton campaign was lying to them, even when it wasn't true. They thought the Clinton campaign was lying to them and concealing stuff. And that thing played right into the media narrative and the reflexive biases of the press to think badly about her. And I just worry not that I don't think it's that anything like that, that with Bernie Sanders right now, but it was a thing that for reporters who are focused on, are we dealing Mm -hmm. with, are we dealing with fair dealers in these campaigns who are telling us the truth, 
it, it raised some questions because reporters do not like to be lied to or have candidates hidden from them. They do not. That's my experience. Yeah. So, so one point I want to make about this, and then I, I just want you to give us a few words on the recount, which I faithfully watch every night. But on this Bernie thing, as a side note, it's really interesting how little coverage that his hospitalization got at relative to where you would get you would get if people thought you were going to be the nominee. Yes. Uh, and, you know, so one of the one of the interesting things, if Joe Biden had had a health problem, there would have been a stakeout outside of right. the hospital. hundred percent. hundred percent. And it would have been big yeah, news. Shows so, you know, they evaluated his campaign. That's a good point. And just to say the last quick thing is that to Murphy's original question, in Iowa right now, I think, you know, there's no doubt Elizabeth Warren has the best campaign, the best organization. She is right now, if you had to bet to who's going to win the Iowa caucuses today, it would be her. I think that, you know, Sanders has a very nice organization here and a, and a really hard floor. The other person, the person I'm spending time with while I'm here, the person who everybody thinks has maybe the second best or certainly in the top three organizations here is Cory Booker. And he's, I think, someone, you know, the dogs have not been eating the dog food on Cory Booker this year. But if there's someone who you could imagine getting hot at the end out of nowhere and who has mm-hmm. the investment and the organization to do it in Iowa, like the a genuine come out of nowhere, surprise everyone candidate, it could be him. And I, I just yeah. pay attention to that, I think, as we get closer. David, you know, organize, organize, organize. Yeah, organize, organize, organize and get hot at the end. That's the that's Paul yeah, Tuzza's Who tipped dictum. you off to that, huh? Huh? Who's been ridiculed all year for saying Corey may catch on, and when he won't, I'll be ridiculed some more. Yeah, you're giving okay. me nothing. this is all recorded, you know. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Heilman, uh, t- talk about the recount. We are building a a new platform. It will be an app and a website that is going to be a platform for short form video news analysis commentary on politics. Um, just like covering that we you know our view is that you know politics has become is as big a category now as sports and we like to think of it as like sports with consequences it's like the the church of politics is now really broad and everyone's watching and so we're trying to make a thing related that make it a, a make content for and a platform to put it on that is no bullshit that's efficient and fast and gets you the information that you need in a quick package so you don't have to spend hours and hours of watching cable news blah 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 we're making a daily product every day called the Daily Recount. That's like a mashup, supercut of coverage of the day. So that in less than five minutes, you can watch this thing every night and be like, okay, I kind of know what happened today. www.therecount.com. Uh, you can go there now and sign up for a, a, the beta that currently exists. You would sign up, you would get an email every night that would send you the Daily Recount every night and the products that we're making every day. But as of about a week or 10 days from now, we're going to be wide open to the public. There won't be, an, you won't be getting an email. You'll just be able to go to the app or to the site and wallow around in clever, smart, funny, fun. Uh, <laughs> and let, let me say, uh, just because I, I'm not, I'm not associated with, I think Murphy may be on your board. I am. It is, I'm it is into a, the scam. It is a great, great, it's a great entertaining product i look forward forward to it every day and i highly recommend it to everyone john heilman back to the hustings with you uh thanks for uh thanks for taking some time with us always good to talk to you I'll, I'll, maybe i'll see you in ohio Th- thank you for good having me. chat johnny bye guys so murphy uh i think you know that david pluff and i were partners for 10 years in business and politics 
Um, I, and I've heard that troubling rumor. Yes, we did a lot of great stuff together. And he was, in my view, the greatest campaign manager of his generation, of our generation, uh, when he managed the Barack Obama campaign in 2008, knows the mechanics of campaigns better than anyone I know. And now, I think maybe inspired by us, uh, he started a new podcast called Campaign HQ with David Pluff. And he's talking to operatives from all of the presidential campaigns, the first two episodes of Campaign HQ, which is available now on Apple Podcasts, Radio.com, or wherever you get your shows, features Joe Biden's campaign manager and Elizabeth Warren's chief digital strategist. Every week, David will speak with the key people in the key races that will decide the nomination. And then uh, from there, the road to the White House. So subscribe for free now to Campaign HQ with my buddy David Pluff. New episodes every Thursday. I'm signing up. All right, X, it's now the time that America tunes in for the all-important mailbag. Now, if you have a question out there, please send it to us at hacksontap at gmail.com. That is hacksontap. You don't actually tune into a tune into a podcast, do you? But I'm still excited about the mailbag. I'm reaching out to the, the Biden You don't actually voters. send mail either. You know, but Anyway, go ahead. Joe's listening on 8-Track right now. And uh, it's <laughs> hacksontap <laughs> at gmail.com. That, that, that joke never gets old. Yeah, no, ahead. no, no. I can't resist. And then he's going to go to a talkie. But anyway, let's go to question number one. Which This is for David from Robert, loyal listener Robert. Now, this is a good one. David, would you be willing to trade Obama's second term for never having had President Trump? In other words, if Romney had won in 2012, which I was hoping for, presumably Trump isn't even a serious candidate, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So would you do the deal? This is like damn Yankees. <laughs> I don't know. Listen, uh, uh, here's what I would do. I would not do that deal. I was very happy, obviously, with President Obama and his second term. Uh, was important. But uh, what I would do is I would have gotten a better Democratic campaign and maybe a better Democratic candidate with all due respect to Secretary Clinton. That was a uh, exercise in malpractice. And even with all the obstacles that were thrown in her way, she should have won that race. So uh, I don't think the problem was the Obama second term, which isn't really what he's saying. Uh, I think that you could have had Obama's second term and a Democratic uh, president following Obama had the campaign been better. Yeah, no, I think it's a fun question. And Robert has a follow up. If Napoleon had had nuclear subs, would we all be speaking <laughs> French? I mean, this is a question. And I, I love the devilish uh, cleverness of it to see just how much you hate Trump. Would you give up Obama's second term? And is a good Obama Democrat. You cannot make that deal. And you're right. Hillary should have won. Well, you know, the other question would be is if she did win, uh, what would the Congress look like right now? And would there be a Democratic uh, house right now. But anyway, we could we could, yeah, could go on could, endlessly exactly. with this. So Jim wants to know, is Trump losing Fox? Is Fox signaling a shift away from full-on, no-questions-asked support for Trump? I see Paul Ryan has been added to the board of directors. I also believe he's responsible for the nomination of new additional directors. Ryan's certainly no Trump fan. And, you know, there is this division between Shepard Smith and some of the actual news people there, Chris Wallace, and the nighttime Amen Corner 
uh, for Trump. What do you think is going on over there? Well, I think there is a schism, um, exactly as you describe it. And I think the most important thing is Trump thinks he's losing Fox, which is driving Trump crazy, which leads to weaker Trump political behavior, which then compounds. I know it's a fact, and one of the great stories Republican operatives told during the campaign is the epic screaming match on the phone between Paul Ryan and Donald Trump during the campaign, during that whole kerfuffle about would they both appear at a rally in Wisconsin. So there's no love lost there. Uh, it's been leaked. I believe it's true that Paul Ryan now on the board has said in Fox told Lachlan Murdoch. Actually, I think it was the other Murdoch. I'm, I can't remember which Murdoch. I know James is out Lachlan's in. Anyway, told the current chief Murdoch <laughs> to distance himself from Trump. So there's trouble, but yeah. I think radio free Trump at night, Kennedy if, is I never going to change. Ryan, that's advice that Ryan should have given himself uh, uh, maybe I, when I he could, was in I will agree. public office. Now, let's go on to Brad. A question. We'll start with you. Ask if Democrats vote to impeach Trump and the Senate acquits him. Um, highly likely in the House. How do you think this will impact the race for control of both the House and control of the Senate? That's a great question. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, the people who are going to uh, feel some impact, if there's an impact, are going to be people in swing districts and swing states. And, you know, I'm not as convinced as uh, others that there is going to be some sort of negative effect on Democrats in these swing districts. They're pretty strong candidates. They're handling themselves well. I think in the Senate race, if the Senate acquits, it puts um, it puts some of these senators, Susan Collins, Cory Gardner, Martha McSally in Arizona, in a really uh, tough spot. And it wouldn't shock me if Mitch McConnell told them to take a walk on this just so that they don't court uh, – problems with independent voters in their states who may decide this election, whether, you know, how Trump feels about that and whether that, you know, buys them uh, primary opposition in the states where filing is still up. And I don't know. But that's what I expect will happen. Yeah, I don't buy the CW security blanket that you hear in Republican circles about, oh, this is going to backfire on the Democrats. There's no reservoir goodwill uh, for Trump, that might have been true. Con- might have been true. Might have been true uh, if they acted on the Mueller report. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though I think there was plenty there, but uh, that one uh, has been sold as inadequate. Uh, I think in the minds of voters, I think this is a new yeah, set. I'm of in circumstances. the same place. This thing stars Trump. Trump's in the middle of it, and there again, as I was saying, there's no reservoir of goodwill. It's not like a suburban Republican or independent college-educated woman in the suburbs who voted Democrat in the last uh, uh, midterms flipping a seat is now like, oh, I'm so offended that Trump is being, you know, taken off. So I, 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 I believe if anything. If the Republicans have a party line vote and only a couple in the Senate defect, um, Democratic rage will increase and that'll be very good for their turnout dynamics. Well, Trump will continue to get backed into kind of his cul-de-sac of Republican primary voters and nothing else. So I think politically impeachment, if the Senate really stonewalls it, will help in both the House and the Senate to the Democrats. And as you said, those three or four, maybe even Tillis and uh, North Carolina, but definitely Arizona, Maine, and Colorado, Cory Gardner, Joni they're Ernst. all in trouble to begin with. And being forced into a yay-nay vote on Donald Trump and his fitness for office in the Senate, which what impeachment really does, is going to be a huge problem for them and maybe even others. And now it's time for... Last call. So 
Here's what's on my mind. Uh, you know, you do get a feeling that below the surface, as this Democratic race is going on and all of the attention on impeachment and some of these other issues, Donald Trump is stockpiling a lot of money. He's got a campaign over there that is uh, working the digital circuit uh, very hard, uh, targeting voters. Uh, he's got a he's got the biggest megaphone and he knows how to uh, how to sell these stories such as the Biden story. Um, and you wonder if the Democrat can Democrat candidate is going to start in a deficit in terms of the sophistication of the operation that uh, Trump is building over there in the bunker be, uh, beyond everybody's view. That that's my last call, and it's a warning sign, a warning to Democrats uh, that they better take that seriously. The challenge of building a war room that is up to the task. Okay, my last call starts with an editorial quickly about your last call. <laughs> you you think I'm smoking crack about the Republicans having a bit of a revolt against Trump? Where I think you might be on the pipe is this uh, Trump digital thing. Now I agree with your your pitch. They ought to have a great digital program, and it's all important. But most of the Trump digital stuff is aimed at that same cul-de-sac. That's why he's raising so much low-dollar money. It's clicked to send $5 to stop al-Qaeda from, you know, advancing their horrible candidate, fill-in Democratic name. So I don't think it's that technically sophisticated. But you're right. It's well-funded, and it's very toxic, and it spreads a lot of BS that could hurt. Yeah, and could hold his base. Yeah, no, uh, I, which but is I think really he's got his, his base. That's his problem. He doesn't have anything No, no, else. but I think, I think there, may, there is a potential for leeching from his base uh particularly among women uh that is uh something that he has to pay attention to and he has to disqualify the democratic nominee anyway yeah, you're right about that we, it's going to be acid in the face 24/7 a lot of it on digital which is hard to track and can be effective uh quickly the end yeah, of my last Russians call learn. is very simple there is honor in resigning um, it's time for people of seriousness in the bureaucracy. You don't have to be a brave whistleblower, but you can resign. I'm talking to you, senior military people. You know how bad this guy is. You complain about him all the time privately, just like I think Republican senators ought to step up. Nobody's asking them to land on Anzio Beach just to do the right thing on Trump instead of just have a lifetime of inexpensive haircuts at the Senate barbershop. But other senior people in government, it's time to walk and make your statement about a president who's unfit. So step up, I say. Step up. All right, brother. That wraps uh, us, I think. I'm always up for a cheap haircut. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, that's the end of it. Well, if we had hair, today, we'd probably we'll be, be swayed by that argument, too. The Senate barbershop right. is pretty Since cool. Since we don't have hair, we could resign without <laughs> risking anything. <laughs> Next week is debate week, and we'll be back together again to mull over what the— uh, implications of that. And the FEC final info will be in, including cash on hand. I'm dying to see it. All right, pal. All right, brother. See you next week.